Hi, I'm Robert Stanley of the Right to Reason podcast, and I took a left at the valley. Gotta love that voice. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance, and you just call it faith in us. Coming at you from Holier Than Thou, BC, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and my therapist told me to write letters to people you hate and burn them. Did that, but now I don't know what to do with the letters. <laughs> uh, reduced team today because joining me to my uh, my Terminator to my John Connor, Kirsten. Hi. Hi. How you doing? Pretty good. You're, are you going to be back? Hmm? Are you going to be back? Am I going to be back? You're the Terminator to my John Connor. Yeah. I'll be back. Get with the program, girl. I haven't actually watched Terminator. <laughs> oh, get out of here. Okay, that's it. Stop the show. Stop the show. No, 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 no. Are you kidding me? No. You haven't seen the Terminator? No, I haven't. Terminator 2? Nope. Maybe bits and pieces of it if it was on like TV or something, but I haven't actually watched it. I'd like to apologize to all of there, all of everybody out there in podcast land. This was not rehearsed. I, I had no idea. She had not seen this. <sighs> anyway. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Kevin. <laughs> Oh, we're going to have an interesting show today because we'll be talking to our friend David Fitzgerald. Mm-hmm. We'll be talking about John the Baptist. But first, let's do a bit of chit-chat. Oh, and there's a lot of chit-chat to be had. There's a lot of chit-chat to be had. There's always a lot of chit-chat to be had. Okay, did you hear? <laughs> uh, are you familiar with the artist Bansky? Yes. Oh, you know Bansky, but you don't know the Terminator. Okay, I haven't seen Terminator, Terminator. That doesn't mean I haven't heard like the lines and that. It just didn't compute, Kevin, okay? <laughs> well, there's a Bansky painting uh, that was called Girl with a Balloon that was made in 2006. It sold for $1.4 million at auction. Now, <laughs> what's interesting is uh, the, the, the painting came with its own frame, a nice thick frame. And unbeknownst to people... There was a paper shredder in the frame. And when the painting was sold, there was essentially an alarm that rang, and the people watched helplessly as the painting shredded itself. Ah! I know, I, I haven't watched the video, but I've read the story and oh. Oh my god! Uh, so, guy's a mad genius. <laughs> yes, he is. So, the, the uh, Alex, uh, oh god, I'm gonna ask you this, Branzik? The uh, head of the auction house basically said, it appears we've just been banskied. <laughs> now, talk about not foreseeing this coming. I mean, this, this yeah. is, I, I don't know how to react to this because it's it's like, oh, my God, but it's brilliant at the same time. Yes. Yes, it is. And it probably does send some kind of a powerful message because Bansky has always been known as a, a street artist. Yeah. And uh, he was never fond of the whole um, paying for painting and collection and paying for art. So that's I guess it's his message. And apparently and, he posted that on Instagram, too. Nice. And do you really need any more proof that it's an original? <laughs> it just destroyed itself with the shredder that was built into the frame. Well, I guess, I don't know. Maybe in a way it's more valuable now somehow. <laughs> yeah, it probably doubled in value at least. Oh, God. So, um, 
Did you hear about Leon Letterman? He's a physicist. He's the one who coined the phrase the God particle. He's dead at the age of 96. He was a Nobel Prize winner. Uh, he helped discover the muon neutrino particle. What's sad about this is he, he lived in uh, Idaho. He had to sell his Nobel Prize. Oh, yeah, I did hear about that. Yeah, for, he managed to sell his Nobel Prize for $765,000 to help pay his medical bills. And how, like, how sad outrageous. is that? How, yeah, how sad is that? You have to sell your Nobel Peace Prize. Well, the physics pay. prize. It was a okay, prize. okay, sorry, Nobel physics prize to pay for your medical bills yeah. because your health care sucks? Exactly. It's like, my God, this this should be this should be huge news in, in the states. I would it think. Should. I mean, if I was a politician, I'd say there's something very, very wrong here. When you have yeah. to do that, I mean, this is not. It's a Nobel Prize. It's not like something you could just give away, right? Like you earned that. You, yes, exactly. Like you worked hard for that. You made history. Now some clowns get your Nobel Prize, and you had to pay for some cancer treatment. Yeah, uh, it's, it's disgusting. It is. Uh, speaking of the U.S., um, the uh, the did you hear the U.S. is actually pulling out of international agreements with Iran and uh, and uh, Palestine uh, because they, these two countries actually complained to the International Court of Justice about U.S. policies. Now, the International Court stood with Tehran, ordering the U.S. to uh, ensure their sanctions because they're about to put some or more sanctions on, on on Iran to ensure that their sanctions do not affect humanitarian aid and or civilian aviation safety, hmm. which is quite reasonable. It's a yeah. very reasonable demand. Well, the U.S. said, fuck you. They said, no, we're not going to do this. Of course they did. Yeah. And they also claimed that the sanctions that are imposed have been imposed already since May violated the 1955 Treaty of Amity. So the U.S. decided to pull out of the treaty. And now they're threatening to withdraw from the 1961 Vienna Convention of Diplomatic Relations. Why doesn't America just go in their own happy little bubble and build themselves a dome? Well, that's what I'm starting to wonder. Is is America becoming a rogue state? It kind of sounds like it, it. It really does. It really does. I mean... They're basically saying, fuck you to everyone. Absolutely everyone. And it, it, it just makes you wonder, it's like, what the hell is going to happen? And of course, once this uh, orange Julius of a president is out, the, the next guy or gal who comes in has to rebuild those relations. They got a long, long road ahead. And you know, you might want to be, you know, pumping your chest saying, yeah, man, that's how we roll. But you know what? Uh, you have no idea the damage, the international damage uh, Mango Mussolini is doing to your country. It's yeah. absolutely horrendous. The U.S. is going to lose faith and the trust of just about everybody on the planet. At this if time. they haven't already. Yeah, if they haven't already. Exactly. Like I said on a previous show, I've never been to the States and right now I really don't want to go. No, and I, and I told you, even myself, I used to be down in, uh, in the States once a, once a week on business and I've essentially told my boss I don't want to go there anymore. It's just too crazy down there now, you know? Um, on better news, um, did you hear that Switzerland has decided to make transphobia and homophobia illegal as Yes. Yeah. In a vote that went 118 to 60. And uh, if you do this, you could be fine and you can end up up to three years in jail. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's pretty stiff. Yeah, it's not like just a little slap on the wrist. It's like, no, 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 you do this and there's consequences. Absolutely. Uh, although the three years in jail, I think, is going to apply more to um, if, you, for example, you refuse employment. 
because yeah. you're gay or something like that. That, that now that if you, if you're just making a, a slur or something like that, I don't think they'll send you three years in jail for that. No, but it's there. But yeah, it's there nonetheless. And That's people need the consequences to be there. Very progressive. Um, did you hear about Donna Strickland? I did not. She is the first. She's a Canadian, and she's the first woman to win a Nobel Prize in physics in 55 years. Wow. And the third overall ever. Wow. Yes. The last one was in 1963, won by Maria Meyer. And before that was Mary Curie in 1903. So good for her. Yeah! Uh, she's from the Absolutely. University of Waterloo in Ontario. She won for, quote, generating high-intensity ultra-short optical pulses, <laughs> which is actually used in corrective eye surgery. Nice. Yeah, very nice. And, you know, Useful. good for her. Good, good for women in general and good for Canada. And, you know, good for her. That's fantastic. And last but not least, uh, I want to talk very briefly about Justice Kavanaugh finally being confirmed to the Supreme Court of the United States. Uh, well done, America. You uh, fucked yourselves. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Now, what I find absolutely astounding about this is... Whenever I'm talking to uh, about this on social media, uh, right away um, people, you know, call me some kind of like a libtard or something like that, and I, I explain to them and say, "Look, I, I don't have a horse in this race. I'm a Canadian. Um, this really doesn't affect me. This this is about your country. Uh, but even I, as an international observer, can see that this man is not fit for the position you're putting him in. Now." You try to reason with them and say, are you sure you're not putting some kind of unreasonable standard upon him as opposed to his opponents or anything like that? But it's I, I get the nasty, nasty impression that a lot of these supporters, whether of Kavanaugh, of Trump or something like that, they're not there because they're reasonable in any way, shape or form. For them, it's just about winning. You know, yeah. there was a post basically saying, uh, I, I was watching yesterday saying, uh, Kavanaugh is confirmed, uh, your your libtard's uh, salty tears are delicious. It's just about, it's just about putting it in your face, you know, like, fuck you, I won, our team won. And that is, I think, very, very dangerous. It's toxic. It's extremely toxic because now you've put somebody there that you think you've won and you just go back to your, your normal life, but... This man behind the scene is going to rule on things that will affect you and your family for the next maybe 40 years. Exactly. Uh, it's, it's, it's not a, a decision you need to take lightly, right? Um, and the, the right is very good at doing these kind of things. Um, I mean, uh, months ago, if not, was it a year ago, uh, Senator Al Franken had to give up his post at the Senate because he took a picture mm. that kind of made it look like he was grabbing someone he had to resign because of that now they've actually put in the supreme court somebody who's suspected of actual you know sexual aggression and and, and it's like jeez oh, man but the other guy had to resign because of a picture yeah yeah it's like can, can you not find i mean it's not even if you want to put somebody in the supreme court because you want to get your um conservative values forward and all that okay fine fine but this is not even about that anymore. This is no. just about winning one on those quote libtards. It's like you're you're cutting you're really cutting the nose off your face, you know, to spite your face. You're really doing that. You you're punching yourself in the face with a man who obviously doesn't belong there. 
obviously his demeanor just don't don't even think about the sexual allegations here. don't let's put all that aside his demeanor his reaction to the questioning he was asked by the senators how he would just challenge him right back throw that door right back in their face that wasn't bold that wasn't bold that, that was that was extremely defined and disrespectful and Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you have somebody that's sitting as a judge or in such a high position, they should be showing respect. They should not be responding in to anger to questions like this. They should be able to, at the very least, keep their temper in check. Yes. Yes, exactly. It should be a poison collected. And and then, of course, he goes on in this rant how this is like some kind of plot from the Democratic Party and some kind of revenge from the Clinton. I mean, this is a conspiracy theory thing. This is a judge. This is a judge. And you're like, what is he going to do? He's going to say the reptilians are coming after him next? I mean, come on. This is a judge of the Supreme Court, a man whose job is going to be to interpret the Constitution for the next couple of decades or so. And you're putting a guy... You, you can't tell me you can't find another guy even that pushes conservative values, but it's not about that anymore. No. It's about just winning that one battle. And uh, I, I, I really fear for a lot of our American friends. And frankly, it's like, I, I, don't, know, I, I don't know what I would do if I was them. I would, I would seriously, seriously look to get out of there. I would. Yeah, I'd God. be like... I'm moving to Canada. <laughs> well, coming or to Mexico Can- or coming something. Coming to Canada is not an easy feat either because it's just kind of like a, a meritocracy system for moving into Canada. So. Mm-hmm. Anyway. But even as difficult as it might be, in the long run, if you really want to get out of there, yeah, yeah. If you don't fit in with the norm. Yeah, as much as, as much as you know, land of the free, home of the brave, and all that. I, I'm not sure this is, these are things you can actually say about the United States anymore. It's it's quite disturbing. I find it quite disturbing to see the kind of stuff that's happening in the states. The only free people are the people on top. Yeah. Now I I, I take solace in saying that eventually these things balance themselves out. But the problem yes. is, in the meantime, it causes tremendous pain yes. for a tremendous amount of people. I mean. Like I've said, you've heard me say this before many times. Conservatives never win. They never do. I mean, uh, every social advancement that we have today, they voted against and they've lost every single one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing is, all they, all they can do is slow it down. Slow down the, pro- the, the progress. Because humans as a species are a progressive species. We are. Yeah. We look towards the future. We look to new uh, technologies and new ways of doing things. This is the key to our survival. And I don't understand why these people are so proud. Some of these people are so proud to be conservatives. You've been on the losing side of history all your life. Well, all of their life. Uh, and anyway, eventually... This is going to write itself. But in the meantime, there's a lot of people that are going to suffer needlessly yeah. for this. And this is what angers me and probably angers a lot of these, quote, libtards out there is the pointless, pointless uh, suffering uh, that's going to be come down as a result of these kind of decisions. Exactly. And the people that are suffering... They're your people that you're supposed to care about. Yes. You're supposed to take care of your people, and that's not not what's happening. It's not just the liberals that are going to suffer about this, too. It's also the conservatives. Exactly. Like like right now, you know, they're they're touting how Trump is uh, booming the economy and all that. That's that's bullshit, first of all. Uh, And and 
the economy is getting better, but it's getting better for Wall Street. It's not getting better for the average, the average person. And the first ones that are out the door, uh, they're, get, they're paying for not, for, for not having a job, are the, the Republicans, the average blue-collar guy. And Anyway, oh, I could go on and on this forever, but <sighs> let's move on to something a bit more positive. Well, we don't have Nancy today for uh, a top 10, but we do have our usual Another Brilliant Moment. Oh, yes, we do. Brought to you by religion. All right, make me laugh, dear. Kevin, did you know that dinosaurs were killed in the Civil War? What? <laughs> the Civil War? <laughs> like the U.S. Civil War? Yep. Well, jeez. <laughs> Golly, I, you know, you know, if I, if I watch Gone with the Wind, I'm pretty sure I see a T-Rex in the background or something. <laughs> Just a velociraptor zip by. <laughs> John Gleason from Godless Engineer recently did an interview with Matt Powell, the 22-year-old budding hate preacher. Oh no! Not oh that. yes. That's a, that's isn't that the same clown who said that homos, uh, homosexual uh, should be uh, executed by the state? Probably. I think that's the guy. The stoning thing. I think yes. So. At one point. Where'd he go, John? John wants Powell to explain why ancient cultures don't make references to dinosaurs. If humans and dinosaurs lived at the same time, as creationists believe. Wouldn't we have records of their existence dating back hundreds of years? Doesn't the fact that everything we know about dinosaurs comes from discoveries made in the 1800s suggest that they lived long before humans came onto the scene? Well, not just that. If you had dinosaurs actually in the 1800s, you'd probably have a stuffed T-Rex somewhere. You know? Yes. It wouldn't be that hard to... <laughs> Taxidermy existed back then. <laughs> yes, it did. Powell rejects the premise because he insists those references do exist. In fact, he says, Confederate soldiers in the Civil War fought dinosaurs, and we have a picture of it. Now, I could just see you with your musket taking aim at a triceratop. Go for it, buddy. I've seen this picture, and there's about six soldiers standing around a dead pterodactyl. Oh. <laughs> it looks pretty cool, but we smart folk can, fig- can figure out it's probably Photoshop. Probably. <laughs> um, but here's what Powell had to say. I believe if we study history, you know, the Confederates were able to shoot pterodactyls, you know, back in the Civil War. So they spread this thing out and it's got huge wing width. It's a pterodactyl they shot. So, of course, these things have been around. Now they went extinct, obviously. Slowly, but surely. And so... <laughs> the Civil War soldiers with their muskets were the last, the last thing that eliminated the pterodactyls. Of course. What was I thinking? <laughs> yep. And so I don't believe that just because at some point in time, coming from your perspective, that just because they stopped talking about it means they never saw it. When we have all this evidence that they've seen it, how do we reconcile that image with the science that says the creature died out more than 100 million years before the photo was taken? Simple. It's a hoax that's been around for several years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, can you imagine if tomorrow morning we, if we heard that tigers no longer exist on the planet? Uh, do you think all of a sudden we would just stop talking about tigers forever? No. No. There'd be people who'd be like, oh, I wish I could see a tiger. Yeah. You see that in post-apocalyptic films all the time. They'll be looking at a book and be like, oh, I wish I could have seen such and such an animal. Exactly. They'd, they'd have they'd have uh, replicas and museums and stuff like that. Exactly. So if you had a pterodactyl, <laughs> people would still be talking about pterodactyls. <laughs> oh no! Oh my God! It's swooping down on us! Quick! Put a ball! 
Oh, uh, bullet in your barrel. Gunpowder, gunpowder. Tap it down. Tap it go, down. go, go, go. Oh, he wasn't fast. It takes about enough. three minutes to load your gun, but that's okay. A pterodactyl <laughs> is flying real slow as you. <laughs> it's just like hovering because it knows it has time. It wants to make things interesting. Everything was slower back then. Yes. <laughs> yes, it was. Oh, goodness. All right. So, Kevin, yes. have you heard about the religious family that got naked and kidnapped their neighbors thinking end times were here? Okay, I gotta get comfortable for this. Alright. <sighs> Lay it on me. A family of Jehovah's Witnesses... Oh, there we go. <laughs> ...reportedly starved and secluded themselves before kidnapping their neighbors, all while in the nude, because they thought the end times were upon us. Hold on, hold on a sec. They were all in the nude? So they, these guys were just sitting around the house naked? Mm-hmm. Waiting for the end times, and then they decided to go out there and kidnap somebody while naked? Yep. Wow. <laughs> the story comes from recently released court documents in Alberta regarding a strange kidnapping case that happened last year. The family thought the Great Tribulation had occurred and that Earth was experiencing Armageddon. <laughs> the group had gathered at it's a... It's a family? It's that's, a family. That's creepy, man. You said it with mom and pop and all butt naked on the... Oh, yep. That's creepy. The group had gathered at a home near Leduc on November 2nd. The mother, who was then 35, had taken her daughters there to visit her 27-year-old nephew and his 30-year-old wife. But over the next three days, the court document says, they didn't leave the house and they barely ate. One of the teens recalls watching movies but also hearing screaming and banging and seeing ashes in the air. Some of the five hid in a bathroom, in a bedroom or bathroom. Now, I, I've, I've, I don't know if your text says anything about that, but why would he barely eat? I don't know. That, that doesn't make sense to me. If Armageddon's no. coming, I'd want to eat as much as I could. <laughs> why starve yourself? Oh, well, you're about to be raptured. Well, I mean, so I you... could almost understand the naked thing. I mean, it's silly, but it's, it can almost understand it. Yeah. But why would you starve yourself? Maybe because if, if you had to run and then stop for a poop break? Jeez. Ah, <laughs> I don't know. <sighs> they did so because they believed they were in danger, either from bad or wicked people outside or from demons, says the document. It says the group believed that the Great tribu Tribulation had happened on November 6th, was Armageddon. So they rushed off to find safety and save a neighboring family. Oh, so they kidnapped somebody because they wanted to save them. Yes, they wanted to save them. Uh-huh. I think it's pretty clear that if these reports are true, we're witnessing a form of hysteria combined with hardcore religious delusions. The police report specifically mentions that alcohol and drugs were not factors, which, which suggests that this was likely a reaction to fundamentalist doctrines combined with groupthink. <laughs> I could just imagine. Hello? <laughs> you open the door and there's your neighbor Bob and he's butt naked. <laughs> he just grabs you. It's like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, unfortunately for them, their false beliefs didn't help them save their neighbors at all. Instead, it led to kidnapping and endangering them. Yeah. All right. So four of the five family members were naked. Um, One of them have a bit more sense. I suppose so. The mother was the only one that was dressed and drove them all in a BMW SUV. Um, they were in such a hurry that she went through the garage door and when the vehicle headed to the neighbor's home, it apparently bent a metal gate. Jesus Christ. So, in such a hurry to get to their neighbor's house, they went through the garage door and bent a gate. <laughs> the neighbors, a man, his adult daughter, and her six-week-old son 
were forced out of their house and into the snow without shoes. Oh my god, so these guys are butt naked into the snow. Well, the, the family about that... The, shrinkage! No kidding. <laughs> At least the family they kidnapped had clothes. They didn't have shoes, but they had clothes. Jeez. Um, the woman and her baby were put in the back seat with the teen girls who were naked under a blanket. The man was put in the trunk and ordered to chant Jehovah ten times. The group also chanted Jehovah as the SUV sped down roads and went through a red light on the way to nearby Nisku. <laughs> so all I can see is the driver going, Jehovah, 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 Jehovah. <laughs> Just like booking it down the road. And of course, this is in Alberta where everything's flat and law. Yeah, and far away. So, where were, does it say where these guys were going? They were going to Nisku. What the um, hell? Oh, it's just a it's, town? I imagine it's a town. Um, probably not that far from Leduc. Because <laughs> that's where that's where they were, were in Leduc. Well, it seems that even in Canada, we do have a religious nutbags, dude. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Fortunately, the kidnapped neighbors escaped from the vehicle and jumped in a truck that offered to help them. But then the Jehovah's Witness family went on the attack and showed extreme strength, according to the police. Extreme strength? Extreme strength. <laughs> the document says the SUV then rammed the truck from behind and the woman and her baby were thrown into the truck's dash, although they were not injured. Um, the SUV then went into a ditch. When Mounties arrived, the group continued to chant and refused to get out, at times clinging to the vehicle and each other. One of the teens believed the police were monsters who would kill them. My goodness. What? Officers said the people in the SUV displayed extreme strength. Two were unaffected by pepper spray. The three adults were also shot with tasers between two and four times before they relented although one then slid under the vehicle and had to be dragged out with a strap. <laughs> the neighbors later told police the group seemed demonized and obviously not in their right minds. Yeah, you think? <laughs> you think they're not in their right mind? Really? What gave you that idea? Was it? What's the first clue on that? Was they it... were butt naked in Alberta and when there was <laughs> the snow winter? on the ground? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh, oh, oh that, that's that, that make you laugh there, Kevin? Yeah, yeah. That, that, that kinda made my day already. Oh god. That's awful. Mm-hmm. Alright. So let's take a quick pause and then when we come back we'll be talking to our old friend David Fitzgerald. Love David, he's a great guy. So stay with us. A Canadian, a New Yorker, and a Southern Belle walked into a podcast, and all hell broke loose. Seriously, though, what happens when we three ladies get together? Well, definitely a lot of talking. And accents. Funny accents. Well, I don't have an accent, but my co-hosts sure do. We mix North, South, and the Great White North together for two hours of pure secular discussion. Nothing is off-limits. From goofy religions like Scientology, woo like ghost hunting and alternative medicine, to hardcore history, hermeneutics, sex, and science, we cover it all. 
What the heck is a hermeneutic? Well, it's not a guy named Herman who sings falsetto, that's for sure. Join Beth, Ashley, and myself, Deborah, every Monday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, and we take you beyond the trailer park and bring the conversation to life. Join us live on YouTube and participate in the conversation via the Q&A system, or catch us later on Spreaker, Stitcher, iTunes, and Nobex. Visit www.beyondthetrailerpark.com for links to the show and our upcoming schedule. Bring your wine and sweet tea and settle in for fun facts and free thinking. We happily wear the explicit tag, though, so make sure to wash out your mouth with something tasty before listening. That's live at 9.30 p.m. Eastern on YouTube. Come give us a like and a share, no matter what type of accent you have. Do you know where Saskatchewan is? Probably not. It's in Canada. If you do, you might know a city named Regina. In Regina, there's a studio. And in that studio, there are, at least once a month, a bunch of skeptical atheist geeks and goofballs who get together to do a podcast. We are the Brainstorm Crew, and we're trying to help spread a bit of reason and critical thinking while still having fun. Never taking things too seriously, but still not accepting everything we're told, we go through different topics, exploring them in depth, and often disagreeing. We try to stick to provable facts, and we never trust a myth. That's why we say we're woo-free since 2000. 2013. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spreaker under Brainstorm, or check out our website, brainstormblog.net. I can't promise you'll always agree with us, but I can promise you'll have fun listening to us. It's also taught us, just in my lifetime, an enormous amount more about how little we know, because we have a, now an increasingly large idea of the fantastic expanse of the, un, the unknown. That's precisely the moment at which to say that skepticism is what's necessary. Inquiry, debate, doubt. Where's faith in this? Where's the usefulness of faith there? There's no use to it at all. Well, our next guest is an author and historian and happened to be one of the most popular guests we had last year. He's a snappy dresser and a snazzy dancer, David Fitzgerald. Thank you so much for coming back, man. My pleasure. With intros like that, I'll come back all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Now, David, um, some people might have missed a couple of shows. You're one of our favorite guests. We always absolutely love to have you. And as a matter of fact, people might not know this, but... uh, David and I uh, almost have this bromance going on here. Almost? What? Absolutely. There absolutely is something going on between me and David. (laughs) Almost as as the only only thing in between you guys is the computer. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, it's always a pleasure to have you, David. But maybe for some of our listeners that don't know who David Fitzgerald is, and if you don't, shame on you, give us a quick bio. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, sorry about that. You, you, your voice totally blanked out in the middle of the thing. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, yeah. Okay. So I'm. My name is Dave Fitzgerald, and I uh, have worked with atheism in some form or another for the last twenty plus years. 
Um, I'm probably best known as the director of the uh, world's first atheist film festival and Evolution Palooza, San Francisco's oldest Darwin Day festival. Um, and for a book I wrote in 2010 called Nailed 10 Christian Myths That Show Jesus Never Existed at All. Mm. And um, I followed that up since with a series called The Complete Heretic's Guide to Western Religion. And that includes a book on the Mormons and a three-volume book, Jesus Mything in Action, where I talk about the actual arguments I hear from atheists trying to tell me that we have good evidence for Jesus. Yes, yes, it's fantastic, and I completely agree on your side. I'm on your side for that for sure. I don't think he, I don't think he existed either. But David, today we're going to be talking about uh, John the Baptist. But before that, I guess we should really announce that uh, your second book, your second fiction book that just came out, Time Shards, is out. Time Shards is out. Yeah, it's the first book in a trilogy. It came out earlier this spring. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm super excited about it. I mean, I'm uh, as as far as fiction goes. Um, I don't talk a lot of, about it on my my nonfiction podcasts like this, but uh, I mean I'm an award-winning fiction writer, just like I'm an award-winning nonfiction writer. And if you're a science fiction fan, it's a really fun ass read. It's it's sort of a time travel slash post-apocalyptic uh, series, and it's got a lot of interesting historical things going on, a lot of action adventure, very trippy science fiction things happening. And uh, we just turned in book two, and it'll be coming out in the spring. Fantastic. Uh, perfect. Because yeah. I bought book one, and I still haven't read it yet, but that'll be perfect, because then I can read book one and then get right Dive into, into book, book two. two right away. And they've also done a great audiobook on the book, too. So if you're one of those people that's more into audiobook, that's your, that you've got that option as well. Perfect. Nice. Fantastic. David, uh, you, you're down in California. There, Maybe as a, as a Canadian podcast, the first thing we should ask you is, are you ready to apologize for your country? Oh my God! <laughs> we, no joke, we have been in full-on rage mode for oh, the last forty-eight hours. I it's, can't blame you, man. I can't blame you. This and, is and here's the thing. Here's the thing. I knew I knew it was going to happen. I knew they were going to just rush him through. And yet, when they announced it, I was still furiously raged out. out. And uh, they, all I can say is, is, is uh, you know. This whole idea of turning the West Coast into Baja, Canada, sounds better every day. <laughs> you, sh- you sure you don't want to move up here to Vancouver? I mean, open arms, man. I'll help you move. I'll, we'll go rent the truck. I'll help you move, man. I'll don't bring you up here me. myself. Don't tempt me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic, David. I wanted I wanted to uh, bring you in because, as far as you, you're, uh, as historians are concerned, you are probably the most talkable, easy to understand, and easy to follow guy. You have such a knack for explaining to the dumbasses like myself uh, about well, historical and figures. myself. Yeah, I mean, and again, I do have a degree in history, but I don't call myself a historian because I'm not working in any academic sense. I'm a historical writer. Yeah. Uh, so just to, just to avoid the hate mail I'll get later if I call myself a historian. No, no, but I mean, yeah. you're way better than <laughs> I on any of these subjects anyway. But, and I, honestly, I do appreciate that because that's what I try to do is take these subjects that are so thorny to get into and make them accessible for a general audience. So I'm very pleased to hear you say that. Yeah, and I, I, I last time one of the last uh, shows we had you on, which was one of our popular shows actually, was uh, uh, we took a look at Saint Paul, and I thought let's yeah. bring David back and let's talk about another character which I think doesn't get enough um, press <laughs> press time <laughs> would be John the Baptist. So, yeah. so the, the person here told me this morning was I was completely shocked that she never watched the Terminator, and I was uh, I just about God. fired her for that. But what? even beyond that, she never even heard of John the Baptist. As I said, well, oh, I'm my still processing God. the Terminator. I wow. know, I know, I know. I got her in my sense right now. 
Oh, she's a heathen girl. What are you going to do? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, that's okay. She's young. Uh, she's very Where's young. Nancy when we need her? Where's <laughs> Nancy when I need her? <laughs> Nancy, Todd Arnold Schwarzenegger, everything he knows. <laughs> so maybe you give us a, uh, a, a description of who John the Baptist is. Let's start with that. Sure. Um, the funny thing about John the Baptist, and this is one of the first things we get into, um, I don't really consider myself an expert on John the Baptist at all, but just as a side effect of studying the historical Jesus question, you find yourself learning so much more about people like John the Baptist, like Paul, like like Muhammad, like Buddha, mm-hmm. like Lao Tzu. Um, the, so many figures you wouldn't expect to have any kind of you know ripple effect, but you totally do. And John the Baptist is one of those guys that shows up in the New Testament. And the funny thing about him is we sort of have four different versions of him because he's different in every gospel. Of course he is. When you go from gospel to gospel, John's role and his relationship to Jesus changes. Um, but in, in, in a general sense, when we think of John the Baptist, we're thinking of this guy who was like the forerunner of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, he supposedly baptized Jesus and got his his uh, his career going and um, was killed uh, early on in Jesus's career, right after Jesus's career started. Um, that's the official story, but it's really interesting there's a lot more to the story than that. Yeah, so let me just talk about just briefly how he's different in the four Gospels. Um, in Mark's Gospel, it begins with him, uh, and he's described just the way the Old Testament prophet Elijah is, mm-hmm. in a camel skin tunic and a belt of leather who eats nothing but locusts and wild honey. Sounds like um, a party man. So that's kind of odd that he's right out of the gate. He's already a rebooted figure from the Old Testament. Um, and he preaches that another is coming after him, one who's mightier than him, and he's not worthy to tie his sandals, this kind of stuff. Um, Mark baptizes uh, Jesus, and as soon as um, he baptizes him, that's all we hear from him about in, God, in Mark's gospel, the first original gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, we learn about his imprisonment and his eventual fate, and there's some interesting, there's run-ins between Jesus and John's disciples, um, and many people mistake Jesus for a reincarnated John the Baptist. Um, and even though he gets a mention once or twice, that's basically it for our earliest gospel. Hmm. Now, Matthew's John the Baptist, Matthew, his gospel in general improves on Mark's gospel. Yes. Um, I've said this before, but he didn't set out to write his own gospel. He set out to correct the only gospel he knew. Um, that said, his intro is almost identical to Mark's. Um, though they make Matthew makes a, a point to say that when he gets baptized by John the Baptist, it's not to take away his sin like it did in Mark. Um, uh, you know, he goes out of his way to say, oh, yeah, we don't have to do this because you have no sin, you know. Um, and then uh, and John's uh, the Baptist in Ma- Matthew tries to not baptize and say, why are you coming to me? I should be the one coming to you. And right. Jesus says, oh, no, it's cool. Let's do it. And yet <laughs> there's an interesting little passage later on in Matthew's gospel where John the Baptist is inexplicably uncertain if he's the right Messiah. <laughs> and, um, oh, uh, and I, I don't recall that passage. He sends it's in. Um, uh, let's see, where is that? In, in verse 11, uh, chapter 11, 2 and th- 4, 2 to 4, um, he sends his uh, disciples from prison and uh, it says to ask Jesus, are you the coming one or do we look for another one? And so Jesus gives them this little laundry list of his credentials to pass it on to doubting John. 
Um, but we don't know if he ever received the confirmation because his head is chopped off by King Herod later. So, so, uh, so he's so that. he's so sure at the moment where he's baptizing him, and then all yeah. of a sudden he has doubt. He said, "Oh, yeah, all of a sudden he's not sure." And what's funny after that is just like verses later, Jesus gives a speech to people and talking about. From the time of John the Baptist until now, it's like, wait, you just spoke to him 10 minutes ago. What are you talking about the time of John the Baptist until now? Time so that's a very differently thing. This time. And, and it, it just sounds like the whole incident was just written for the benefit of John's followers to persuade them to make the switch to Jesus' camp. And we'll talk about more about that in a second because mm-hmm. that's very important. Now, Luke, his gospel starts with John, but not with him coming out of the wilderness to announce Jesus. Luke actually spends the first two chapters of his gospel getting John the Baptist's origin story. Mm. And so we learn that John was the, the son of an elderly couple, a priest named Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth. And even though they're long past their childbearing years and barren, one day the angel Gabriel appears and announces that John that she's going to give birth to a son, John. And, uh, you know, I think we've heard that story already before. Yes. Um, six months later... Gabriel appears to uh, her, her cousin, Mary of Nazareth, to give her the same glad tidings. And Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. Uh, when she arrives, John the Baptist, in the womb, leaps in <laughs> for joy in the presence of the fetal Messiah. And uh, for some reason, the two cousins don't meet again until decades later, um, when he, John starts preaching in the Jordan. They weren't kissing and cousins. Jesus is baptized without a word of process from Luke's John, unlike uh, Matthew's, even though... He's an odd mix of Mark's John and Matthew uh, John at this point, mm-hmm. with some new material thrown in. Um, but there's other aspects of Luke's John that make even less sense in all this. Even though Luke's Jesus is now John's own cousin and was declared to be the Messiah by the angel Gabriel and had the Holy Spirit descend on him at his baptism, and even though God's word came down directly to John in the wilderness to tell him all that, somehow Luke's John still manages to doubt Jesus exactly like Matthew's does. Um and like Matthew, Luke makes a commercial for Jesus targeting John's followers. Hmm. Um, now, in our last gospel, John's gospel, the fourth gospel, uh, it's been a great deal of energy establishing that John the Baptist was not the Christ. It repeatedly tells us over and over again, not the Christ. <laughs> um, and the first thing we see in his gospel is, is uh, John the Baptist getting the third degree in Bethorabia from some Jerusalem Levites. And under the grilling, he reminds us again that, no, no, he is not the Christ. But the next day, Jesus shows up, and John sees the Holy Spirit descend on him and remain upon him. And even though John twice tells us that he's never met Jesus, he immediately recognizes him as the Lamb of God, because God tips him off, saying, On whom you shall see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he that baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Um, and unlike the other Gospels, that's the only voice of God announcement we get at that time. Um but apparently Jesus was just strolling by at this. There's no word of John baptizing him, who after all doesn't need to repent of any sins. And that same day, John's standing with two of his disciples when Jesus goes by, and there goes the Lamb of God, he tells them, and they start following Jesus instead. Um, he <laughs> does manage to hang on to some followers, though, because a few chapters later, he's still out baptizing, and his disciples come to complain to him that this new guy, Jesus, is baptizing, and now everyone is going over to him. And somehow they haven't realized that Jesus, not John, is the Christ, even though that's all John Ivor talks about in the Gospels. <laughs> and he tells his disappointed flock that he must increase, but I must decrease. So, again, uh, <laughs> point, after point after point after point after point, that's 
John's message that John the Baptist is not the Christ. So you you have four different gospels and four radically different John the Baptist, and yep. and and. and the, they all they all have amnesia, obviously, at some point. Yeah. Because they say, oh, this is definitely Jesus. He's the guy. And then, oh, I'm not so sure anymore. So Right. And, right. of course, then his followers, the John the Baptist followers, apparently they love to jump on the bandwagon because, hey, that's the guy. And they just, whoop, let's just go. Let's follow him. Well, here's know. the interesting thing about that. Some of them, yes, just like that, as improbable and implausible as that is. And yet, constantly in all four Gospels, we have run-ins between Jesus and the disciples and the disciples of John the Baptist saying, well, why do your guys do this? Why do you do this? You know, mm. um, and it's something that's, it's, it's obvious if you know anything about the history of John the Baptist cult, but it's so not obvious in the Bible that John the Baptist religion was a rival religion yes. to Christianity for at least a century into the first, second century. Um, and that we actually have uh, Christian writings from the second century that are, they're probably about as, as historically accurate as Acts is, but they actually have, they portray the early Christians and Paul having debates with John the Baptist's followers who um, proclaim their own master as the Christ mm -hmm. and um, giving arguments for, well, uh, you know, Jesus said that, uh, that, uh, John was greater than all men and all the prophets, and if he if he's greater than that, then he has to be greater than Moses and greater than Jesus. So he must be the Christ. Mm. Um, and uh, and and so and we still have these arguments preserved in these in these documents. Yeah, because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's even the point where even the uh, the the night where the Templars, the night Templars, were actually arrested, they were actually accused of worshiping. Some of the, some say they were actually accused of worshiping John the Baptist and not Jesus. And that's an interesting thing, too. I mean, we don't know how much to take of that particular kangaroo court it was true or not. <laughs> yeah, true but it's interesting that they didn't bring that up, that that's a possibility. Um, because the, the fact is, John the Baptist's religion, his cult, still exists today mm -hmm. um, yeah. in groups like the Mandians. And, uh, um, and they, are, they may be extinct now, but they, were, they lived all the way through the 20th century up until Saddam Hussein's time on the fringes of Iraq and Iran. Um, and they, they, they were saying that uh, if they didn't say John the Baptist was the Christ, they said at least he was the greater prophet of them. Mm -hmm. But some of them seem, apparently did worship uh, John the Baptist as the actual Christ. Yeah, I'm going to uh, put a, a quick parenthesis as well, because uh, when you went through the gospel, just for our listeners that might not have heard you before, the reason why you start with Mark is because you went in order of chronology of when these, uh, these gospels were written down, right? Excellent point. Yeah, that's a good point worth making, too. Is a, of all our four gospels, they all derive from the original one, the most low-frills, low-rent, um, gospel that we have, and that was the first gospel, Mark. Mm -hmm. um, and all of them expanded on the story from there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, which is I'm fascinating glad. about the gospel of Mark is some people say that Mark apparently was a uh, secretary to Peter. But I find <laughs> which I find fascinating because it's like, why would you take the gospel of Mark, the secretary to Peter, but reject the gospel of Peter? <laughs> right, right. Well, now the, and the funny thing about that is even the, even the source that tells us that uh, like 100 years, 150 years after the fact, um, says that, and it's like, yeah, that doesn't quite hold up, because if that's true, then how come all the other Gospels have more information about Peter than Mark's Gospel does? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, there's so many holes you can Just know. because. 
You could, yeah, yeah exactly. just because. Just, just, but yeah, you still hear Christians say that all the time because they, they think if Lee Strobel says it or Josh McDowell says it, and I believe it, that settles it. Um, yeah. So, so then John uh, John finally decides, all right, this might be Jesus, this might not be. He might be a sheep or he might be a man. We're not sure at this point. You can follow him or not, decide whatever. And he gets kind of involved into quote-unquote local politics, gets captured, and essentially is killed. Right. It, according to the Gospels, some according to some of the Gospels, I yes. should say. Um, now, I believe it's Josephus has a uh, a brief mention. I don't remember if it mentions his uh, getting his head cut off by um, Salome, uh, or if that's uh, later. But he does. There is some slight mention of John the Baptist in uh, Josephus's works, and that kind of pissed off early church fathers because it's like. Well, Josephus knew that such and such was a, a a punishment on Jerusalem for the death of John the Baptist. How come he never said anything about Jesus? You know, they actually <laughs> complained that that was weird. You know? Yeah. So uh, when people ask me, was John the Baptist real? It's still kind of an open question because, yeah, definitely there was a church of John the Baptist, just like there was a church of Jesus. But John the Baptist is portrayed like a new modern day Elijah, mm-hmm. and our archaeological evidence portrays him as a, as an Elijah. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that people were baptizing in Judaism, you know, long before that, long after that, they're still baptizing in, Ju- uh, in Judea- uh, Judaism. Um, and the evidence for him is slightly better than Jesus, but you know what? That's not much of a bar to begin with. That's a pretty low bar. And it's not, it's certainly not a dead cert. And uh, so what, even the, the, the one passage we do have in Josephus, it looks like somebody's tampered with it to make some theological point. So it's even it's a little dodgy. Mm-hmm. So so you're you're a mythicist, and you don't actually believe that Jesus was an actual person, uh, but you say there is slightly and that's just a big word to use, I guess, more huh. evidence for John the Baptist. So what outside the Gospels do we have? And beside the Josephus that we just mentioned, is there anything else about John the Baptist? Um, well, there's there's an archaeological site where it's it's either Elijah or John the Baptist, and they think it's John the Baptist. So we, we have some some physical evidence for the John the Baptist cult, mm-hmm. which is um, which is pretty good, considering we have to wait a lot longer till we find evidence of that in Christianity um, uh, by by series of d- decades and um, not not like hundreds hundreds of years. But there's there's a different gap in um, in evidence for early Christianity that we're not seeing with John the Baptist's cult. But that doesn't really tell us anything about whether John the Baptist was real or if he was just another cult figure. Mm. Um, And really, there's one reason that makes me tend to think that there was a John the Baptist. And this is is getting a little speculative and a little interesting, and I don't know if it's true or not, but the very fact that all four Gospels go out of their way to mention John the Baptist and to co-opt him in some way tells me that at least there was a John the Baptist cult that they were trying to to domesticate and to, to steal from. Yeah, trying to discredit uh, the, the John the Baptist cult to say, no, 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 these guys are full of, they're, they're fake. John was not so important. Jesus is the guy. Right. And, and again, before, before John the Baptist got wrangled onto our team, 
they were complete rivals. And you can still see that in the New Testament, which amazes me, is you see the, the, the disciples of John fighting with the disciples of Jesus, or Jesus himself even. Um, and why do, you, why do your disciples do this? Why do your disciples do this? You know, So it's, it's very obvious that Jesus, in his arguments, is a placeholder for these fights between these rival religions. Um, here's something interesting that Robert Price wrote in an essay a, a while back. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, and he, he also admitted, you know, this is, I'm just spinning here, but we know these Gospels are myths about Jesus, and they're allegories about Jesus. What if Jesus is an allegory for John the Baptist? And the first time I heard that, I thought, oh, that's ridiculous. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought about it, the more I think, oh, but that answers so many questions. It's like all these passages in the in the Gospels where people are saying that Jesus is the reincarnation of John the Baptist. Um, it would be fascinating if, if, I mean, we know these are allegories, if that allegory is actually about a real person and that real person is John the Baptist. Um, and it, it's, it's, a, it's a very provocative question it's a very interesting question to me and i don't know if we'll ever be able to know one way or the other without more evidence but it's interesting to see the way they're contrasted and the way they resemble each other and they're presented as each other that is interesting indeed and and according to scripture uh yeah the baptist meets his end in a dungeon where he's essentially beheaded Yeah, because he was starting to meddle in uh, Herod's affairs and telling him to repent and all that kind of nonsense. Exactly. Uh, Was there any archaeological evidence, court documents from Herod's time? None that I'm aware of. I think I want to say totally not. Um, We only have one mention in Josephus that John the Baptist was killed in that particular prison, but nothing about all the dancing girl and all the sexy details that. uh, So where did uh, that come from, Herod? Um, that, oh gosh, <laughs> that's the question we ask ourselves constantly in early Christian origins. Because the, um, the, my, my first, my first introduction to John the Baptist was watching one of the Jesus of Nazareth movies as a, as a child. And then yeah. if I remember the story, right, he's, he's, he's pointing at the king, he's angry at the king, you need to repent, blah, 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 blah. And the, the king essentially decides to throw him in jail because he's a troublemaker. And right. then his wife gets really angry because he doesn't want to execute John the Baptist because John the Baptist is kind of like a popular figure he doesn't want an uprising and then she gets her daughter to dance for the king and then he offers the daughter anything she wants and she asks for the head of john the baptist now where the hell this story come from well i mean for one thing there's a little bit more to the story john the uh herod's wife is mad at john the baptist because uh, she was married to herod's brother philip Mm. before herod married her um, and that's what John was t- telling to Herod. It's not lawful for you to take your brother's wife. Um, so she, Her- Herodias, it was her name, had a grudge against him, wanted to kill him. Um, so she, can, you know, she cajoles her 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 daughter um, uh, to, you know, do some sexy dance for the king and whatever you ask. I'll give it. And she says, well, what should I ask for? And she says, yeah, the head of John the Baptist. Not half the kingdom, not everything else he promised her. You but think, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, half the, uh, no, the head of John the Baptist, that's way better than half the kingdom. I don't know. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, um, I mean I'm, a, I'm a girl that's growing up and I have all these rituals around me. Now, give me the head of a dead guy. That's exactly. really what Thanks, I want. Mom. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is just um, a few verses before this, when they start hearing about uh, Jesus, you know, his name becomes known. Um, 
people are saying in verse uh, chapter 6, verse 14, some people are saying John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and that, that's why these powers are at work with him. And they'll say, no, it's Elijah. And they'll say, it's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod hears of it, he says, hmm, John, who I beheaded, has been raised. So it's it seems like the author of Mark is totally dropping clues that that's what this allegory is all about, that it's really about John the Baptist. And once he died, the spiritual John the Baptist came by, back and and gave this new spiritual victory for, for John. So Jesus was again, like version we'll, 2.0. We'll, we'll probably never know if that's the case, but once you ask the question, it really it explains a lot of weird things that are the weird features in the Gospels, and I always love situations like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it usually leads to, you know, thinking about things in a completely different way. Yeah, well, I was thinking too. Uh, one of the things that was uh, before the show I was thinking, you know, it's it's kind of funny that John the Baptist gets captured by the authorities and executed, yet Jesus goes on a three-year campaign, <laughs> right? And right. nobody ever ca- captures this guy. They, they they get close to him, they can't even identify him. It's like, uh, what the hell? Is exactly. he like some ninja? Just one of the many many discrepancies in the Gospels about that, and and also the fact that. They can't even agree. Were they perfect strangers? Were they first cousins? Did they know each other in the womb? You know, it, it's very weird that you've got all these different theories on what their connection was. That's very weird, and that we know that the two religions were rivals with each other. That kind of throws everything up under the bus right there. It's like, yeah, I don't think they uh, liked each other very much. Um, that is very. But weird. we see this. We see this in, especially in Luke's writing in the Book of Acts. The, whoever wrote Luke was constantly trying to bring in other people into the fold, reaching out to the Pharisees, reaching out to the, the Jews, reaching out to women and children, um, going out of his way to make Christianity a big tent. And definitely the uh, the Baptists were ones they were going after so, in a big way. So, so you figured that the Baptists were, quote, invited to the tent around which era? Around uh, 100 years past uh, Jesus' uh, supposed death or— if we can believe the accounts in the, the these pseudo Clementine uh, writings, which were in the early second century, mm-hmm. they were separate rival religions, you know, who were horned off at each other, at least into the second century. Mm-hmm. Um, in the New Testament, it mentions a uh, one of the early Christian leaders was a guy named Apollos of Alexandria, mm-hmm. and the thing that says about him is so fascinating. It says. Now, he was a great Christian teacher, but he only knew the baptism of John. He didn't know anything about it and of anything else. Um, so he's kind of this half-Christian, because um, said, they said he preached accurately the things concerning Jesus, yet he only knew the baptism of John, and so Priscilla and Aquila have to set him straight in some unsuspected way, unspecified way, and I'd love to know what exactly they had to tell him. But it sure sounds like he was a Baptist uh, who became a over to the Christian church to the early church yeah and from then on after the second century the uh, the, the cult of John the Baptist kind of becomes a bit more obscure it's, it's, we know it's there it's relegated to the side you said like yeah. you said he came all the way to the 20th century right uh, and t- uh, totally on the fringes of the Christian and Muslim world um, and in fact it's interesting if Constantine hadn't uh, favored the Christians in the third century and later the layers in the fourth century you know um, if that change hadn't happened christianity would probably be just as obscure as as john the baptist and we'd be talking about mithra right now <laughs> that's pretty good yeah. it's true it's absolutely true though 
They were socially invisible for hundreds of years. They weren't even the size of small cults in Rome mm. until uh, Constantine. Wow. That's a, that's a yeah. very interesting way to look at it. And it's, it's one of the things, i got to do a, a, a quick detour to the left here uh, to ask you this, because um, one of the questions I always get into is uh, a lot of people ask me, says, well, I, I tell them, you know, the cult, the, 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 the kind of end doomsday messiah figure was yeah. pretty popular at that time. And Jesus Absolutely. was certainly not the only one. Absolutely not. In fact, in uh, Mything in Action, I describe over a half dozen of, uh, I'm sorry, sorry, over a dozen of other lesser known messiahs mm. at the time. Uh, and they're not anywhere as powerful and mighty and as Jesus. And yet every single one of them pulled off something Jesus couldn't do. And that's make a dent in the local historical record, yes. including John the Baptist, for that matter. Yes, that's 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 an amazing fact for me. And that's one of the reasons why I, I totally agree with your mythicist point of view that, you know, there's no way in hell that a guy that would, even with other magic powers, if he had just the preaching power that he supposedly had, there's no way right. in hell that nobody would have noticed at the time. Exactly. So exactly. So I think the Christians have a really a huge problem with that because if they admit that yes, there was a Jesus guy, then they have to give up the whole magic trope because apparently nobody noticed the magic. And if yeah. they say, well, no, there was there, there, there was no Jesus guy, well, then then all of a sudden your your whole religion is based on what? Well, and in in nailed, I talk about that, and one of my last things. The penultimate chapter is called Can Jesus Be Saved? And I talked about all the ways that the New Testament and early Christian history and the Roman Empire would have to be different for me to really accept that, well, yeah, I guess there was a a guy named Jesus. Mm -hmm. But the fact that, A, either he did all these amazing miracles or at the very least, as you say, taught these amazing new things, and yet no one noticed outside of his little cult for the better part of a century or more— or he didn't do those things, and yet somehow it was just one more loser messiah, mm-hmm. and yet somehow you've got all these feuding little cultlets, not just in Judea, not just in the Galilee, but all scattered across the Roman Empire who can't agree about the first thing about who he was, what he said, who his friends were. Um, that That is such a weird disconnect that on the one hand you've got this guy – who, when you ask for evidence, apologists say, oh, well, there was no reason for anybody to take notice of him. And then said, well, then how the hell did his, his feuding little cultlet spread everywhere? They don't have an answer for that. And I, I don't see how they can have an answer for that. That little paradox alone was enough to raise my eyebrows on the historical Jesus. Thing. Oh, yeah, exactly. It, may, it makes perfect sense to me. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's just amazing that, you know, when they say in Matthew that, you know, the, the zombies came out of the graves. All the all the saints came out of the graves and started yeah. walking and mingling with people. You think somebody would have noticed? Think that. somebody would notice that? You know, yeah. you got a guy you know, posing I, in front of you, having a conversation, and you'd think you think there's something a bit odd about that. I fella. would notice that. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't you? When, I mean, he talks a lot about the temple curtain being paid for that time and his, his <laughs> visits to Jerusalem. Did miss that completely. I can understand. And I've had Christian during debates accuse me of making a straw man yeah. argument just for repeating word for word what Matthew said happened. <laughs> that they came out of their graves and went through the streets of Jerusalem appearing too many. And they're already backing up saying, oh yeah, it's probably a local thing, just appeared. No, no, no. They went through the streets of Jerusalem and appeared too many. Appeared too many, yeah. Jerusalem yeah. was not a one-street town. It was pretty exactly. big, even exactly. back then. No, David, you don't get it. You're taking it out of context, man. You're, you're taking just, it out of context. You're just taking it yes. out of context. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, if I had a nickel for every time. Like that. <laughs> you'd be a you know what's man. funny? 
here's here's a helpful hint from your uncle Dave. Any, <laughs> next time a Christian ever tells you you're taking that out of context, immediately say, "Well, what is the context?" Exactly. I guarantee you, no Christian ever knows what the context is, and then follow up with, "Well, how do you know I'm taking it out of context if you don't know what the goddamn context is?" You know. <laughs> exactly. And if you can, if you can tell them what the context is, that's even better. But anyway. <laughs> So, so David, how do we close the story on John the Baptist? What else do we know about the guy? Is there anything That's, else we know? We have we left out anything? I'm trying to think. I think I think we've covered all the big paradoxes and mysteries about him. Uh, well, you know, there's an interesting. Let's go to the story in Luke because there's some interesting things about that. Um, hang on, two second. I want to just find my notes here because I want to make sure I'm getting this right. Um, Bear with me, bear with me, bear with me. Okay, here we go. So, as I said, Luke starts his gospel, the first two chapters, giving the origin story for John the Baptist. And John's story is four times longer than Jesus' mere 20 verses later. (laughs) And it doesn't take much editing to completely separate out the elements involving Jesus and Mary from John's nativity story. And when you take them out, the story doesn't suffer at all. It makes more sense. And one of these elements is what's called the Magnificat, which is the Song of Mary. And she sings a song in, in Luke one forty six to 55 about how her soul is magnifies the Lord and she loves it. But, you know, it's awesome. It's the Virgin Mary Song of Praise. Um, but the problem with that is it's based on the Old Testament story of Hannah. Um, and almost word for word, there's if if we didn't know, you just have to look at the two and say, oh, they're copying the story from about the prophet Samuel, um, because Samuel's mother um, was also a barren woman who uh, couldn't have children until an angel came and and blessed him and they gave son to a prophet. Um, that's Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a total copy of this. Well, that song that Hannah's singing is rejoicing because this old woman has given birth to a prophet. Well, that's not Mary's problem. That's Elizabeth's problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's obvious that it's Elizabeth's song originally. And apparently, according to our oldest old Latin manuscripts and some quotations from church fathers, it was originally, even in the Luke's gospel, the song of Elizabeth, not the song of Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, there's other things like John's father, Zacharias, has another song that has been tampered with it instead of uh, they've inserted uh, in the house of his servant David into a song that originally didn't have that little bit of prophecy. Luke is starting um, to feel like a Disney musical here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and another slip is that in chapter two, Luke says Jesus and John were born this, in the year of Quirinius's census in 6 CE. And that's got all kinds of problems already. Mm-hmm. But in the intro to John's birth story, it says, oh, this was in the days of Herod, which is a gap of at least a decade and more in line with what Matthew said. Um, and it's a clue that these two stories were originally completely separate. Um, and what's more, it's like when we had the Herod doing the slaughter of the innocents, we know that Jesus had to flee off to Egypt to escape that. We don't know how John the Baptist survived that. He was born at the same time. Yeah, so, yeah. that's a good you know, question. And, it wasn't for like hundreds of years before somebody went, oh, yeah, and had to create a John the Baptist escape story, too. 
where I think they split a mountain in half and he closes over him and something like that. But anyway, <laughs> talk about a nutcracker. But it's like for, for hundreds of years, it didn't even occur to people. It's like, oh yeah, that's a that's a plot hole we need to figure out. You know, <laughs> that's a good one. Um, you know, the the question I, I I wonder about this is, you know, the the, the whole thing about uh, um, older elderly couple and their their. They're no longer fertile and they're barren. And this angel appears to them and tell them they're going to conceive. Why not just give them the baby right there? Why do I have to go <laughs> right? through the entire pregnancy at that age? That's like cruel. It's like, well, why the hell do I have to go through nine months of this crap? Can't you just pop the baby right now and just give it to me? And you know what's funny about that is there is an early Christian gospel, the Ascension of Isaiah, Isaiah rather, um, where that happens, where they just are in Bethlehem and they blink, and boom, there's a baby there. there we go. <laughs> See, at least if you're uh, going to go with magic, at least make it kind of cool. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's where the whole uh, warehouse comes in that's up in heaven. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. You know, we had a story, um, uh, was it last week or a couple of weeks ago, where the, one of the... Uh, one of the Christians was basically saying there was a warehouse of body parts in heaven. And you, can, you can make a requisition for an arm or a leg or something like that. I say, oh my God, I can just imagine that. There's a Home Depot in heaven somewhere with body parts. Home Depot, heavenly Home Depot. Well, there was, I mean, for the longest time, they just assumed that Noah's flood happened when they opened the windows in heaven and all the water that's above the earth in the in the firmament. space. Yeah. yeah. That we all know, you know, it just falls right through. That's just science, you know, boom. So, I always uh, thought somebody left the tap on. Exactly. <laughs> we just live in the fountain, kind of the, what's the, one? The, the, the fountains of the earth. You know, they, they open it up and the water comes pouring up out of the fountains too. So it's like the jacuzzi of, you know. Uh, science, man. That's real science. 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 <laughs> David, thank you so much for explaining all this to you to, to us today. I really appreciate it. But the mic is all yours, my friend. Uh, be shameless. Plug yourself if people want to find out more about you and your books. Uh, sure. Again, again. I, I talk about all these all these things and much more in my books nailed and my books jesus mything in action and um they're they're fun-ass books oh, you know they are. They um, are. i couldn't put them down yeah i i, I, mean, I don't want to brag on myself but the, the reason i wrote them is to to make these stories that are, are mind-blowing it's fascinating to see where christianity really comes from um and what we know about it and what we what we know about the official story that's just plain bullshit unflinching bullshit <laughs> and how we know that um, it's fascinating to me to see how these religions come about mm-hmm. and it it's not even just christianity we also touch on you know judaism on buddhism on islam um none of them are really off the hook in these books yeah and i think i think readers will enjoy them because they are they are fun to read and they're easy to read and they can find them in fine bookstores everywhere Every bookstore, books are sold on the internet. Yes. Exactly. Fantastic. David, before I let you go, i got to have you say, Hi, I'm David Fitzgerald, and I took a left at the valley. Hi, I'm David Fitzgerald, and I took a left at the valley. How's that? And, of course, that was the one, the only David Fitzgerald. God, I love that guy. Good dude. He's such a bro. He explains it so well. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. He's... <laughs> He's such. I, if he was a professor, I would totally take his course. Sorry, any yes. worries. You you develop such an attachment to the man. It's like it's like talking over a beer with a bud, but he's you're learning at the same time. It's like God damn it, David, you always do it right. And I, the I, best way is to have fun and to learn. I totally agree. It is the best way. And he, there's no doubt about that. And he's always welcome here, and we hope to see him again very soon. Tavo Moran. Now, we saw a man promoted to the U.S. Supreme Court this week. A man whose political leanings is beyond conservative to corporate. 
a man dodged by allegations of sexual harassment in his late teens. A man whose choosing brings into stark view the machinations of behind-the-scenes politics. Brett Kavanaugh, a clerk elevated to judge by the W. Bush administration, was again elevated to the, U- the U.S. highest court in the land this week with a razor-thin margin voted along political lines. Conservative hailed the victory as liberals and especially women stood stunned at the unfolding of these events. A woman, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, had come forward with credible and strong accusations about a past encounter with Kavanaugh in high school. Even Fox News called the testimony powerful. Liberals thought it was over. Surely a person's character had to count for something in the position he was applying for. This was compounded by Kavanaugh's own testimony where he, without a doubt, showed he didn't have the composure, poise, and cool head expected of a SCOTUS judge. Kavanaugh was arrogant, belligerent, emotional, angry, and deeply biased, going to the point of invoking conspiracies from Democrats and the Clintons. Clearly, I thought, this man cannot be taken as a serious candidate. But Republicans would not let decorum stop their clear agenda. After a senator compromised to stop the vote until an FBI one-week investigation into the allegations, the FBI was clearly hamstrung to impotency in this investigation, where none of the victims were even investigated. After that quick sleight of hand, the Senate voted along party lines, and it was all over. In one week, we knew that women were not only second class in the U.S., but that the politicians don't have the interests of their constituents. It certainly can turn one into a cynic, and I wouldn't blame you. Despite all this, what has been fascinating to me was the reaction of a good segment of the population supporting Kavanaugh. On social media, everything from conspiracy about groom actors to deep state Illuminati agendas abound. It was sheer madness. Here comes a woman about her credible testimony being torn down and mocked by the U.S. president and his supporters who demonstrate cult-like thinking that even conservative media couldn't reach. These brainwashed Trump ass-kissers seem more concerned with just a victory from their side than what it meant for the future of SCOTUS. A meme stating, quote, Liptard's salty tears taste delicious expressed clearly that their position wasn't about a conservative values, but rather to simply stick it to the, quote, liptards. Clearly, we have entered a new era. The cult of Trump is here. As atheists, we understand this new foe, but we also know from experience that you cannot reason with them. Diplomacy has failed us, and it's time to ask yourself if keeping up to a certain moral standard should be done. Should we jump in the muck and play dirty too? Taking the higher road hasn't worked, and the conservatives, despite their inferior numbers, have taken over. Do we need to drop the proverbial gloves? How long are we willing to let old white men drag society backwards? You tell me. And that takes us to the end of our show. Perfect. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us on Left of the Valley today. Thank you, Kirsten, for being with me. You're welcome. Keeping the, the fort, <laughs> because the show would be really dull if it was just me. <laughs> Aww. And thank you to our listeners for being with us today. Okay, coming up next week, we have God himself. Brian Keith Dalton, Mr. DD, will be showing up. That'll be interesting. On the 20th, we have uh, Heavy Metal Group Predators. This will be interesting to come in. And of course, on the 27th, we have our Halloween specials, where we basically tell ghost stories around the virtual campfire. I'm almost done writing mine. I haven't even started mine. <laughs> um... On the uh, November 7th, we have Jerry Montanez. This guy is an ex-Trump supporter who turned around and basically said, I'm sorry I did that. And he went on CNN and he got a lot of flack for it. Damn, I can imagine. Yes. On the uh, 10th, we have Thomas Whisbrook. He'll be coming back and talking to us about uh, all the uh, rape cases that we had uh, with the Catholic Church. He'll be coming back. And um, the following week, we'll also air... Our friend Robert Stanley is having a debate versus Chris the Christian Christensen. So that's going to be interesting. I'm going to be the moderator, and I promise to be impartial. So that's going to be very, very interesting. And we'll also be talking to soon to our uh, YouTuber Vice Rhino. Should be coming in later in the season as well. And of course, later on, December and all that, we'll have our Christmas special and our year in review. Looking at the top 10 shows that we had during the year. And what a year it's been. That's always an interesting year. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you so much, dear. Anything else we need to say before we go? Uh, I think that is enough. Have a good Thanksgiving. That's right. Have a good Thanksgiving. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Until next time. Sounds good. Isn't real, but Jesus is. Or Zeus, Thor, or Mithra, Vishnu, you don't believe in them. I think the reason is apparent. You do what you're told and believe in the God assigned by your parents. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance, and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. Let me take a sec, don't mean to sound so hateful But I swear to God, pun intended, I find it disgraceful That thousands of children are raped by priests And since they're holy men of God, they get away scot-free And the Pope does his very best to keep it on the hush Don't wanna affect business, he loves money too much We know that they love the kids, but how the fuck can we protect them While they planning to molest them, we teaching them to respect them Respect them, fuck that The system is broke down Working backwards in the only action of tactic I plan to practice now is to attack them The parties of God's hands are bloodstained Millions of murders by believers And they're all in God's name And let me take a sec, don't mean to sound so hateful